sometimes it's good to, to take stock of where we are and what, what we're thinking and what the world is thinking. And I went through that exercise a little bit this week and I realized that, that for the longest time, when I, when I was younger, uh, it, it was before the advent of postmodernism and the idea that um, there, there's relative individual truth. Like you have truth and I have truth and we all can just pick our truth and live by it. Before all of that, the idea in society was that people should keep their individual views on things like politics and religion. We, we should keep them to ourselves. Those were back in the days when nobody told anybody else how they voted. Because it was none of your business. So we, we just kept personal matters personal. We, and, and the reason we did that was we were pursuing the interests of community peace. The, the idea was you just go with the flow. Don't rock the boat. It's for the greater good. Some things are meant to be personal and quiet. But today, we, we live on the other side of a seismic shift in thinking where the, the focus of our culture today has turned from the idea of community peace that we're to strive for to where we serve individual peace. It's no longer, what can I do for the greater good of community? It's actually about my greatest good. I'm the one that matters. What, what matters most is how I feel and how you feel. This is the message that's being sent. My feelings and my desires are paramount to yours. As a matter of fact, the community is now supposed to meet me where I am. It, it's supposed to accept and serve my interest. Rather than serving, I am supposed to be served. That's the reality today. Every individual is supposed to be served as they are. Now, and by the way, we can fight for it. Now, what, what this has done, is has, it, it has given rise to identity politics. Okay, that, that is a system where, interestingly, in the days where we have gotten rid of segregation, identity politics is a system where we segregate into groups according to how we identify ourselves. Okay, and, and there are traditional identities that we uh, group in its race its religion its politics and status and then there are some more contemporary identities that that emerge there are carnists and vegans there are android users and apple users and you know who you are now the idea is that that across the board today individuals should be able to declare their identity and be fully accepted and supported in community, in the culture. In theory, everyone is being given the green light to be true to who they are and what they believe. 
I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I just think we need to, well, maybe not much, but I just think we need to recognize where we are. Everyone given the green light to be who they are. But are we? I mean, are we? Followers of Jesus Christ. Do we have the same green light? I, I think that it's safe to say that we have been left out of the rising tide of tolerance today. It, it seems like the new system works for everyone but us. There, there's, there's no tolerance offered for our beliefs by those who demand tolerance for all. So it, it can be argued, and quite powerfully, I might add, that we face resistance and rejection at every turn. Now, it's at this point that you might expect me to get all worked up about it. That, that you know, you, you can... It's not hard to find some Christian spokesperson that's been out of shape about this, this persecution that we're under. Why? Because it's absurd, they say, how, how we're being done wrong. But I'm not going there. Instead, I, I would suggest that it's actually our indignation toward the intolerant world we live in that's absurd. I'm going to say that again. We're all on the same page. I think it's the indignation that we express to the intolerant world that we live in that is absurd. Why? Because we are getting exactly what Jesus said we would get. You realize in the last meeting he had with his disciples the night before he was crucified, which I would argue is the penultimate, the ultimate form of persecution, the night before he was crucified, crucified. Maybe I am getting worked up. I don't know. <laughs> the night before he was crucified, he looked his disciples in the eyes and he said, in this world you will have trouble. Mark it down. Experience trouble. Experiencing trouble from the world we live in is exactly what we can expect. That's actually the way it's supposed to be. We, we, we shouldn't waste our mental energies complaining about what's being done to silence us, even if we feel like we're being bullied. Why do we need the world's permission to identify as Christ followers? Why do we need the world's permission? Why do they need to be nice to us for us to identify as Christ followers? I, I think instead of objecting to the idea that we're being bullied into silence, what, what we should object to is our silence. 
the question is not, are they trying to silence us? Because they are. The real question is, have you fallen silent? Have I fallen silent? Here's the litmus test for someone that identifies as a Jesus follower. Here's, here's the litmus test to determine if you've fallen silent. Would your circle, okay, the, the people that you typically do life with, homework, social circle, all of it. Would they be surprised that you're a follower of Jesus? Not would they be surprised that you go to church on Sunday. The question is, would they be surprised you follow Jesus? Those are two really different things. Can be. There was a um, there was a season during my time at Clemson University when I'll I'll be honest with you I was hiding my faith. It, it wasn't that I didn't believe in Jesus. the the, the truth is I just didn't act like I did. And th- at the time, the idea was I was climbing up the leadership ladder and into what I thought was social significance. And I foolishly convinced myself that if I was going to reach my goals, then I needed to blend in with the climbing crowd. So I, I just, I, I don't know another way to put it. I just took some time off from following Jesus and followed the crowd. Now, what you need to understand about if you've never been to Clemson University, it's a pretty compact campus and uh, most all of the classroom buildings surround a place called the amphitheater. It's a place where people, you know, take the stage to demonstrate protest and voice, you know, exercise their freedom of speech. They make all kinds of declarations. But because it's in the center of campus and most everybody walks the class, it's also the place where all the students meet up to, to hang out between classes. And so one Friday morning, uh, during my time there, lo, these many years ago, I was on my way to class. And I bumped into a group of my so-called friends that were congregating in the amphitheater. And on this particular morning, and by the way, I can still picture it. But on this particular morning, as, as we mingled together, there was a, a young man, older than we were, but certainly young, uh, who was dressed in all white, white t-shirt, white pants, and white shoes. And he climbed up on the stage and he began preaching Christ. Now, but because of the acoustics in the place and the passion that this man brought to the table, we could hear every word he said. And we were all the way at the back of the amphitheater. And, and to be sure, the message was 
of the turn or burn variety. But the truth is he was preaching Christ and Christ crucified. And as he began, we, we all fell silent. And we watched what was unfolding more out of curiosity for his courage than for his content. And he was really getting worked up. Really getting worked up. And one person in the group of my friends looked at me and said colorfully, Hey, Stevens, why don't you go down there and tell him to shut up? And I'll be honest, I'll, I'll never forget it. I, I laughed I, I laugh nervously. And refle reflectively, I said something stupid. And then God said something. Not so all everybody could hear it, but he said something unmistakable in my spirit. He said, those people don't know who you are. And I just got sick. I mean, not so anybody could tell because I was still hiding. But I got sick because I knew who I was and I knew whose I was. And, and while God has, has never led me to preach that way, I knew I could never tell that courageous man to shut up. I couldn't because I totally believed what he was saying. I believed at the core of my being that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by him. The truth was, I secretly admired that man for his willingness to stand up for what he believed in a time where I would have never stood up for what I believed. I was hiding. And so I, I, I quickly said my goodbyes and, and wandered off, but I, I, I didn't move on. I, I literally stayed there all day in my mind. I reviewed what my friend said. Most importantly, I reviewed what God said to me. And I wish I could tell you that that was the day that I came out of hiding and I began to identify with Christ, but it, but it wasn't. But I, looking back now, I know that it was a day that God planted a seed in my soul and that through other events in my wilderness wandering at Clemson, He brought me to the place of repentance And he granted me by his spirit the fruit of courage that would enable me to follow my convictions most of the time. And, and as I reflect on that season in my life, it, it, one of the great regrets that I have 
was my desire to hide my identity. Why, why did I do that? Why do I do that? Why do we do it? Why is it that, that sometimes we demonstrate our faith in Jesus? And other times we, we hide it. Why do we feel like we need to keep our commitment to Christ quiet? I think, if I were honest, I think it might be because some small part of it is the fear of missing out. Like we, we feel like if we followed Christ, that we might miss out on some of the fun that non-followers have. They seem to have more freedom to do exactly what they want to do. But I think that's a pretty small part of it because I, I believe most people who identify with Christ just aren't that shallow. We we kind of figure we figured out that there's that's a dead end. That sure that kind of fun. There's a season where it brings some measure of happiness, but at some point along the way, we recognize that it the pursuit of that lifestyle never ends, and so it's a it's a drudgery and a, actually a burden that doesn't bring much fulfillment. So I think that's just a small part of it, but it is a part of it. But for the most part, I, I think we hide out of fear. I, I think it's a self-protective fear. Like we, we fear being labeled. We fear being ostracized and ridiculed. Maybe even persecuted. But, but those fears, listen, those fears are at least curious and certainly irrational. Because it's exactly what we signed up for. It, it, it's not buried in the fine print that if you follow Jesus, you may be persecuted. Don't tell you. Now in the Western world, we, we may be hiding that fact a little bit, but make no mistake about it, Jesus never did. It, it's not buried in the fine print. It's front and center in the New Covenant. Follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. In this world, Jesus told them, you will have trouble.
So we know it's going to happen. What happens to followers of Jesus? You, you think about it. When Jesus was building his team and he was inviting people to come follow him, he was very upfront about the cost. Jesus, who knew the heart of every man, Scripture makes it clear that he knew the strengths and weaknesses of those that he was inviting to follow him or those that wanted to follow him. And he would just come right out and, and say, listen, our enemy, the prince of darkness, is going to exploit your weakness in an attempt to dissuade you from following me. One man who walked up to Jesus to pledge his allegiance to following him, he was, Jesus told him, hey, listen, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Presumably, the man went on. Why? Because this was a man who needed a place to stay. This, he, he needed that kind of security. On another occasion, he was approached apparently by someone who was focused on the family. And Jesus said, listen, if you're going to follow me, there, there's going to be a time where you're, you're going to have to say no to your mother and father and brother and sister. You're, you're going to actually have to turn your back on your family to follow me for that one. For all of us, for everyone who considered following him, he said, you know what's going to be required is that you're going to have to take up your cross and follow me. The implication was you're going to have to embrace not just the possibility, but the probability, maybe even the certainty of suffering. It's part of the deal. Jesus never hid that truth. And then after he was raised from the dead and ascended into heaven and the apostles went about the business of building up the church, they didn't hide it either. They, they coached Christians to pray for, to forgive, and to bless their persecutors. Why? Because... Because persecution was a foregone conclusion. Just part of the deal. Why Paul wrote those sobering words to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. He wrote, In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ, presumably, that's all followers of Jesus. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus might be, will be persecuted. Will be. It's just part of the deal. From beginning to end, the Bible teaches that those who follow Jesus, those who choose to live a God-honoring life, will be punished for it. Not by God. Do you realize that the first reported sin in the Bible that took place outside the Garden of Eden 
was the sin of religious persecution. Have you ever thought about that? You, you remember the sin, right? Cain killed Abel. See, the time had come where uh, the, the crops were in, the harvest was in, and Cain and Abel were supposed to make an offering to God. And Abel's offering met the standard. God approved of it. And Cain's fell short. And Cain was so angry, not at himself, for giving God junk. But he was so angry at Abel. That he led him out into the field and killed him. Here's what the beloved disciple John had to say about it in 1 John 3.12. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Here's the key. Why did he do that? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. His own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Why did Cain kill Abel? Because Cain knew he was wrong. And he felt humiliated. He felt judged. And he felt condemned by his own brother's righteousness. And that's what happens. When, 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 we, have, when we live the life that God created us to live, darkness resents it. Darkness resists the light. As a matter of fact, Jesus actually used the word hate for what we would get from the world. Hate. Look at John chapter 15, beginning in verse 18. If you have your Bibles and want to follow there, there's a couple of passages of Scripture that we're going to read today that I would encourage you to either jot down your sermon notes or turn to and circle in lipstick or however it is you're doing it these days. But in John chapter 15, verse 18, listen to what Jesus said. If the world hates you, by the way, it's not going to hate everybody. The world hates you, keep in mind, hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've, I've, I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. In other words, why should we expect to get better treatment than Jesus did? That's irrational. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, obviously they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. Not everybody's going to persecute you. But if you're living for me, some will. The bottom line is that if we follow Jesus, if we're not hiding like I was, then at times we are at times we are going to be persecuted, even hated. And listen, 
doesn't feel good, God never said it would. It isn't something necessarily to get excited about. But it's God's truth. And we should welcome it. Welcome it. So let's, let's just get personal for a moment. If you aren't persecuted, if I'm not persecuted, at some point, if I don't feel resistance, experience resistance and rejection for following Christ, then it can literally only mean one of two things. There are only two possibilities. Either you're not a follower of Jesus, or we're not doing it right. That's it. Only two possibilities. Either you're not a believer in Jesus, or you're not acting like one. Maybe you're in rebellion. Maybe you're in hiding. But the bottom line is that faithfully following Jesus draws persecution. Of all different shapes and sizes and kinds. Now, that leads to an important question. Should we pursue persecution? Are we supposed to go out and drum it up? that the deal? To help us answer that question, I, I want to look at a passage of Scripture that the Apostle Paul wrote to the believers in the city of Philippi. It, it's a biographical passage. It's a beautiful passage where he pulls back the curtain of his heart and reveals his ambition. What drives Paul? And it's in Philippians chapter 3. And this is the other one I would mark down or turn to or highlight or Whatever you want to do. Philippians chapter 3. If I can find it. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Chapter 3. Beginning in verse 10. Remember Paul is revealing what it is that drives him. I want to know Christ. Yes. Listen. Listen. To know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings. Really? Participation in His sufferings. Becoming like Him in His death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. But I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Paul says that he wants to know the power of Christ's resurrection. And isn't that fabulous when we see, experience, and know the power of God? Absolutely. I want to know the power of His resurrection. And he said, I want to participate in the fellowship of His suffering. Why? So he can become like Jesus. He understands that, that, that that's part of, of following Jesus. 
But is that Paul's primary objective? No. Absolutely not. The objective is to know Christ. How did verse 10 begin? I want to know Him. Yes, and the power of His resurrection and fellowship of His Son. The objective is to know Him in experiencing resurrection power and participating in His sufferings by receiving persecution. That's part of the process, but it's not the goal. The goal is to know Him, to experience Him, to follow Him, to become like Him by following in His footsteps, by acting like Him. And along the way, He says you will definitely experience some of His power, And along the way, you'll definitely experience some of his suffering. That's the byproduct of pursuing Christ. So are we to pursue persecution? No, God doesn't call us to seek it out, but rather to embrace it as a certain byproduct of following him. Those are two very different things. So we don't set out to offend. We don't take our bright lights and blind people as we shine them. We don't get angry and indignant at a dark world that needs God's mercy and grace. We don't set out to offend people so we will be persecuted. As a matter of fact, the Bible says as much as it depends upon you, Live at peace with everyone. Not just believers. Not just those sitting around you or those you live with. Live at peace with everyone. Even those, even those who would be interested in persecuting you. So we're supposed to live out our faith and stand for truth with gentility and respect. Not in arrogance. Not in condemnatory judgmentalism. But with dignity and respect for the people Jesus died to love. So, three things persecution, not our objective. Persecution, not constant. Persecution, inevitable. It's not the objective. It won't be constant. But it is inevitable. When following Christ leads to persecution, so do it. Because, you know, as Jesus says in the Beatitudes, the payoff of persecution far exceeds the pain. Look what he said in the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12. This is the way he wraps up the Beatitudes. He's been building to this point. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted. 
because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted our Savior. And they're going to persecute us. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil and, and throw stones at you figuratively. Talk behind your back and ostracize you. Because you're not the first. And you won't be the last. They persecuted the prophets. They persecuted our Savior. And they're going to persecute us. But the payoff is the kingdom of heaven. The payoff is a reward that cannot be destroyed. The way Jesus ends the Beatitudes is he, He's lifting up our, our eyes to live with vision. To recognize that this is not all there is to it. And our objective should not be and must not be to, to live the easy life. To avoid ostracism and rejection. That's not the objective. The objective is to have enough vision to live for the kingdom of God. That's where the reward is going to be fully realized. But there are rewards as we go. And listen, Jesus knows how challenging it is. He was persecuted. Matter of fact, he was crucified for us. So God says, listen, if you accept the, the, the possibility of persecution and choose to follow him anyway, you will be rewarded. And that reward is as sure as the persecution itself. The reward is great. It's the kingdom of heaven. Here and now. On earth as it is in heaven. There and then, in eternity. What happened to me at Clemson when I finally came out of hiding? Truth is, it's just what Jesus said would happen. It's just what I feared would happen. I lost some of those friends. I did. But remember what God said? They don't know you anyway. They didn't. And when I realized it was a really small price to pay because I found that I had much more freedom and joy in the light than I did in hiding. I was much more secure in living in the kingdom of God than in building a kingdom of lies. The, the, the blessing was as soon as I opened myself up to the possibility of small-scale persecution for God, for my faith, I found my stride. I hit my stride and began walking in the blessing of God. In the kingdom of heaven. On earth. Just as it is in heaven. So we're, we're, we're going to wrap up with this. The scripture has brought us to 
a fork in the road. Which way will you go? For some in this room, they're not follow, you're not following Jesus. You haven't opened your heart to accept Him. You, you have completely rejected Him. But today's the day. Now's the time to decide. You've heard the story of Jesus. You know He loved you. He died for you. He embraced brutality and persecution so that you could connect with the Father. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but through Him. Maybe today you just need to open your heart and trust Christ. For the other group in the room, those who have trusted Him, we come to the fork in the road, and the question is, Will you continue to hide? Are you going to follow him and accept the possibility of persecution, of ostracism, rejection, the judgment of darkness? Or Are you just going to continue to live in fear and protect yourself? As one who's been down that path, as someone who was wildly committed to that path, I, I just want to say for sure. The joy and benefits of following Christ far outweigh the pain of persecution. Let's pray. For those who are considering the possibility of accepting Christ, the work has been done for you to connect with God. Jesus died on the cross. For the forgiveness of your sins, he embraced the humiliation, the shame, the ostracism, the rejection, the pain. Ultimate persecution died for you, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. And the scripture says those who place their faith in Jesus will be forgiven for their sins and inextricably connected with our Heavenly Father. You become sons and daughters of God. Open your heart to Christ today. Trust Him. And if you're in hiding, let's go. Let's stand for the one who died for us. Father, thank you so much for the truth of your word. For dying on our behalf. For teaching us, Lord, that the, the payoff for the possibility of persecution is well worth the price.
Lord, for those who need to place their faith and trust in you today, I, I ask that today would be the day of their salvation, that they would take that commit card and say, I want to follow Jesus. And then take it to that desk out there and we'll celebrate with them. And for those of us who need to come out of hiding, I pray today, Lord, would be the day that we stand in our identity. those who follow Christ. It's in the strong name of Jesus that I pray. Amen.